Hey everyone, this is Chad Arms, pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon. It will play in just a minute. But before it does, I want to encourage you to take a second and subscribe to our podcast. If you do, you'll be notified whenever there is a new sermon uploaded, something that happens once a week. And we have some new audio content in the works. If you subscribe, you will be the first to know about it. So I really hope that you'll do that. Along those same lines, we could really use a favor. We would appreciate it so much if you would consider leaving us a rating or review. If you'll do that, it will help our sermons be heard by more people. And as I've said before, we think that's really important. Something I haven't told you before is that one of the reasons we think that is important is because my life was greatly impacted by listening to a recorded sermon. When I was four years old, my great-grandmother and I listened to a tape of our pastor's sermon. He gave the gospel message, the story of Jesus dying and rising again so that we might be saved, and I decided to become a Christian. We want moments like that for more and more people. That's part of the reason we put these sermons online. And if you leave us a rating or review, it will help people who need to hear about Jesus hear about Jesus. And so we'd appreciate it greatly if you would do that. Again, thanks for taking time to listen to this sermon. I hope that it will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. So pride um, is this... This thing that's really easy to see in kids, harder to see in ourselves. Uh, I won't name any names, but a, a little girl that I'm pretty close to. Uh, I, I just was observing her behavior this week, and and she uh, she throws fits when she doesn't get what she wants, and and it it just illustrated. And I don't know why I didn't think of it earlier. It, it illustrated exactly what the Book of James said in the. In the passage we looked at a couple of weeks ago, and, and that is, what causes fighting and quarreling among you? Well, it's, it's basically pride. And you see it so clearly in children. It's like they, in their minds, and we treat them like this as parents, partly because we need to when they're really small, but it's like they're the center of everything, and when they don't get what they want, then, well, nobody else is going to be happy either, right? And, and so you see this quite clearly in children, but, but we know that it's kind of true in us too, like the reason that we have arguments with our spouses usually is because we didn't get our way. They didn't do what we wanted and they didn't, you know, respond the way that they should have and they embarrassed us or, or, or whatever. And, and I, I think that, that we can all see if we just look. I mean, this series about pride, I think it's quite easy to see that, that we are prideful and it's, it's something that is inherent inside of us. We don't we don't become prideful, we're like born prideful. And it's something that, that all of us, I think everyone was thinking I can speak for you, we have it in us, this pride issue. And it's something that we have to really work to overcome. And we've seen that, that we can begin to work to overcome pride by increasing our love for God. That's what we saw in the first sermon. That's what I said in the first sermon. That, that is, our love for God increases, our pride will decrease. And as our pride increases, our love of God will decrease. It's just how it works. And, and then last week, we looked at a passage in 
And that passage said that, hey, here's, here's another step in that process. Like, you, you love God more, your pride will decrease, but, but there's a couple of things that you can do to really make sure that that's happening, that you're growing in your love for God. And, and what we saw is that you can do that by spending time with God and striving for purity, striving to be obedient to what He has said to do, and by making sacrifices for God. Like, actually going out of your way to say, I'm going to do something that costs me something in order that God might be glorified and other people might be built up, which is in fact like the opposite of what pride tells us to do, right? Pride says, I do what benefits me, and and when we begin to say, I'm going to sacrifice, I'm going to do things that aren't good for me, and I'm going to do them for the glory of God and for others, then it starts to to chip away at our pride and, and I think build up our love of God. But what does that look like, you know, in the real world? And, 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 and why should we do it? You know, I mean, why? And, and in our last passage that we're going to do in this, in this sermon series, uh, we see both the reason why and we see this incredible example of what it looks like to, to lower ourselves, to, to tear down our pride and to uh, be humble, really. And that passage is Philippians 2, and we'll begin in verses 1 through 2, and that, there it says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. Now here's the deal. This is, this is how Paul starts this section of Scripture, writing to this church in a city called Philippi. He says, look, if there's any benefit... From being a Christian. I mean, he says these specific things. They're, they're not very important, but I mean, uh, they're, they're kind of a big deal. Uh, he's like, if you have any encouragement, like if you have any comfort, and, and we know that if you're a Christian, you know this, then being a Christian brings you encouragement and comfort. I mean, you, you lose a loved one and you say, wow, I'm comforted because I believe that they're in heaven, or you're having a rough day and you're encouraged because you're like, God is still on my side. He's still with me and he's still helping me and he's still there for me we know that, that that if we're christians we know this then we've experienced love that that is incredible it's a love that we can't find anywhere else a love that that we just don't deserve and we did nothing to earn and a love that is is bigger than all of our sins and all of our transgressions and we have that in jesus and we find comfort in that and paul says that if we have any common sharing in the Spirit, and that can mean one of two things. It can mean that we obtain the Holy Spirit when we become Christians, and now we have this, this God inside of us who is leading us and directing us and helping us and showing us what we ought to do. That's kind of a big deal. It's a big deal in my life, at least, because left to my own, I have no clue what I should do most of the time or what's right, but I can sense God moving in me and saying, you do this and you do this and you should do that and you shouldn't do that. I don't always listen, but at least it's there. Or it can mean the common sharing of the church. And we know that from Paul and his other writings that everybody 
in the church who has the Holy Spirit inside of them is equipped to serve other people in the church. And, and so this could be referring to the idea that as, as part of the Christian faith, there are people around us that are uniquely and specially gifted to help us in our spiritual journey along life's way. They are uniquely equipped for that by the Holy Spirit. Both of those things are great and they're both things that we partake in. I think that every person who's been at this church at least for a significant or a small significant amount of time would say I have benefited by being here whether it's through my preaching or through the band playing or through somebody coming up and praying with you or for somebody offering you a word of encouragement we benefit in that and Paul says if you if you have anything good from the Holy Spirit and what he's done and if you have any tenderness and compassion the word tender is a word that that the, the King James Version translates bowels, and it's like this this feeling. It's sympathy, basically. It's not just empathy, but it's like if you've experienced any any sympathy, any tenderness from God. This isn't something that, that grows in us. That's not what Paul's referring to, but like from God, where God, and we know this, he's looked down at you in your sorrow. Maybe that's the sorrow of sin. Maybe that's the sorrow of hurt and pain that life brings, and you've, you've just sensed that God still is caring about you, and he's, he's there with you, and he loves you, and he's trying to help you. And if you've experienced any compassion, any mercy, any help from God because of the hurt that you've experienced in your life, if you've experienced any of that as a Christian, that's the setup that Paul's giving here. And then just to put the cherry on top of that Sunday, he says, hey, and by the way, here's what you can do to make my joy complete. Now, that's an idiom. Paul isn't saying like, if you do what I'm going to say next, then I'll have joy forevermore and it will never go away. He's just saying like, here's the thing that you can do that's going to make my heart glad, that's going to make me excited, that's going to, that's going to pump me up. Here's the thing that you can do. Now, this, is, this is like a huge setup, right? I mean, what, what's he going to say? Maybe you already know, but pretend you don't. And if you don't, I mean, you got to be thinking like, if you're paying attention at all to what Paul said here, like, if I have any benefit from being a Christian, and Paul, this great apostle who saw incredible miracles and did more for the kingdom of God than maybe any other person ever, uh, this thing that's going to pump him up, that's going to get him excited, I mean, what is it? What is the thing? And here's what he says in verse 2-2. Being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. In a single word, Paul says, if you have any benefit from being a Christian, and if you want to make my joy complete, then be in unity with one another. This word that translates like-minded is a, is a really important word for Paul. He uses it ten times in the book of Philippians, which is not a very big book. It's four chapters. And then he uses it 23 times in his writings. For Paul, one of the most important parts of a Christian living out their faith is to be deeply unified to the other people that are Christians, and even more specifically, because uh, you didn't just go from city to city or church to church in the first century, more specifically, the people within your congregation, your local gathering of Christians. 
This is what Paul says. He's like, hey, you want to make my joy complete? If you have any benefit from Christianity, then here's the deal. I want you to be deeply unified. At our church, we say this phrase. We say spiritual loving connection. And what we're trying to get at here is, with our language is what Paul kind of demonstrates in the New Testament. And that is not just, and this has been a problem in our church's history, kind of a weird way to say what I'm going to say next, but it's been an issue where we've just had a lack of fighting. There's nobody bickering, there's nobody arguing, and so everybody's kind of like, good enough, right? I mean, this isn't a church split, nobody's mad at each other, nobody's whining, nobody has an opinion, you know? That's how it's been in, in the history of our church, but that's not really what Paul is describing here. He is describing something much more profound than that. He's not just describing a lack of disunity. He's talking about a true spiritual loving connection that is supposed to exist between people within the church and a church. And that's why he, he seemingly here, he builds on this, but they all point back to this idea of being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. They're all, they're all explanations of what it means to be like-minded, Having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. I mean, he's saying, like, you should be so close that you think like each other. And you have the same dreams and you have the same heart and the same vision. And you care about each other and you're there for each other. And you're pushing each other forward. And you die for each other. That's what Paul is getting at. I love the way that the New American Standard Bible translates this passage. I think it... it uh, it helps it make more sense, and this is, this is how they translated it. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. I love that. We should be so unified and connected that we are all trying to go the same direction. Now, this doesn't mean that you're not going to have different differences of opinions. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have different interests and different likes. Not everybody in a church is going to be your best friend. It's just not logical or possible. It's not something that will ever take place. But it means that the church is so unified that it just seems like everybody's in it together, striving for the same purpose, which we know, because we talk about it a lot at this church, is basically to, to bring God glory, to experience and express the glory of God. Paul says, like, if you have any benefit from the Christian faith, then you should just be deeply, spiritually, lovingly connected to other people in your church. Let me just pause and say that I think that we do a pretty good job of this. We want to do a better job. This is, this is one of the good areas of our church, one of the things that, that we have done uh, especially well since I've been the pastor. We have a long ways to go. But when I look at the American church as a whole, I don't experience that. I don't sense that. I sense that there's large groups of individuals who come together and they meet and they sing a few songs and listen to a sermon and they go home and there's no unity whatsoever. There might be a lack of disunity, that's great, but there's no true spiritual loving connection. People are not of one heart and one mind striving for the same purpose. They're showing up and hearing the same sermon and singing the same songs and that's about it. And God forbid that we should ever be a church like that. We must, according to Paul, if we have benefited at all from being Christians, strive to be deeply and lovingly connected. 
for Paul, this isn't a, a theological treaty. This is, this is him <laughs> saying, look, this is my heart for you, that you'd be of one mind, that you'd be deeply connected to one another. Now, that might be, uh, I think, a surprising thing that Paul says. You know, I think he, if we're just reading the New Testament and we're going along and we're, we're actually paying attention and somebody says, look, if you have any benefit from the Christian faith, if you want to make my joy complete, then unity. I think that's a little bit surprising. But what we're going to see next is that it's tied to some much bigger things. It's tied, in fact, to a lack of pride and, and humility. In fact, if you think about this, it's quite the opposite of what we've seen about pride already. James 4, 1 through about 3 says, What causes fighting and quarreling among you, as I've already said? It's your pride. And Paul says, think about this now, Here's what I want for you if you've benefited from Christianity at all. I want no fighting. I want you guys to all be on the same page. I want there to be incredible unity. And so it's not surprising at all, given what we've already seen about pride, that what Paul says next, after he calls for unity and gives this incredible setup, what he says next is all centered around the topic of pride. He says in verses 3 and 4, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Connected to unity is, is like the hardest thing that's said in the entire New Testament. I mean, I think this verse might be the most difficult thing to put into practice in the New Testament. It's no wonder uh, that these are the types of conversations that are lacking in the church today. We're really quick to say like, you know, don't commit adultery, don't be gay, don't lie, don't do these things that are sins, right? We're really quick to say things like that. But these much more difficult things, it's not, it's not, very difficult for me to not commit adultery, frankly. I mean, I, I mean, in a, in a real, not mental sense, like that's not a very difficult thing. But not doing anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, valuing others above myself, not looking out to my own interests, but to the interests of others, that's really, really, really hard. I mean, that might be the hardest thing in the entire New Testament. This word that translates selfish ambition, I don't know if this will be helpful for you, but I think an easier, better translation maybe is selfishness. When I first read selfish ambition, my first thought was like, does that mean I can't pay my bills, you know? And I don't know why you may not have understood it that way, but I did, and so it seems worth saying that, that that's not what Paul's saying. He's saying don't do anything out of selfishness. And we kind of know what that word means, right? Selfish. We, we know when people are selfish. We usually don't know when we're selfish. But we can identify selfishness in other people quite quickly, can we not? And, and this word for vain conceit is actually a word, interestingly enough, that, that the King James Version translates vain glory. And it's a word that refers to self-glory or false glory. It's this idea that we can build ourselves up. We can glorify ourselves. That we can express our own glory and so what Paul says is don't do anything selfishly and don't do anything for your glory to make yourself look good to bring honor to yourself to raise yourself up to show yourself to be awesome don't do anything with those things 
uh, with those things as your motivation. So let's just, let's just ask the question. I think questions are important sometimes, and I put this big bright orange here. Are your actions driven by self, or are they driven by the good of others and the glory of God? Because Paul says that none of our actions should be driven by our desire to make ourselves look good or feel good or, or to put ourselves above others. But rather we should do everything for the good of others and for the glory of God. Here's the deal. The anecdote to pride is living life for the good of others and for the glory of God. That's the anecdote to pride. I said last week in my little goofy definition that pride is me above you and God too. And here's what Paul says. You want to break down that? You want to live differently than that because you've benefited from the Christian faith? Well, here's what you do. You don't do anything for yourself. You lower yourself so much that you're doing everything for the good of others and for the glory of God. That's what Paul's getting at here. The two cannot coincide, right? Because as long as I'm raising myself up and making me more important than you, then I will always do what is best for me. And I will never do what is best for you and what glorifies God. As long as I'm raising myself up, putting myself on a podium and saying, look, I'm the most important. It's me above you and God too. As long as I'm doing that, then I'm never going to be low enough to say, I'm going to do whatever is good for you and for others. I'm always going to be driven by a desire to, to fulfill myself by selfishness and by vain conceit or vain glory. It's just always going to happen. It's interesting. This is so interesting to me, and I, I don't know why I didn't think of this earlier in the sermon series, but, but humility, what Paul describes here, is seen as a virtue in our society and pride is also seen as a virtue in our society, right? Like take pride in your work and in yourself and have some pride. We say those types of things. Humility is seen as a virtue and pride is seen as a virtue. And what we're seeing in the New Testament is that you have to choose one to make a virtue. The other one's not because they are direct opposites. In one, you raise yourself up above others and God. And in one, you lower yourself beneath others and God. And you say, you're more important than me. My life will be driven by your benefit and your good and for God, your glory. They can't both be virtues because they're direct opposites. I said this last week, but I've, I have referred to love as this. Love is them above you as their good you pursue because of their value. And that first thing, placing them above you, is in fact humility. That's what Paul's saying. It's, that is humility. And, and what I see as I look at the New Testament and see what love is and, and what humility is, you can't love without being humble. While you were stuck in pride, living for yourself, having your actions driven by selfishness and vain conceit for your good and only your good, then you can't fully love other people because you'll never be low enough. Humility is just the opposite of pride. It's a word, in fact, that means lowliness of mind to say, I'm going to lower myself. I'm not important, you are. I'm not important, God is. In 1 Corinthians 13, 5, it says this about love. It is not self-seeking. Because one of the key components of love is humility. Now, 
in case we think about love as some self-dejecting, crying all the time, lack of self-esteem thing, that's not what Paul is, is saying at all. Paul is saying that, that we look at others and, and we value them above ourselves. And that means that we don't just get beat up by other people, right? Because I look at abusive relationships, and this is why I feel the need to include this here. And people in abusive relationships would twist this in their heads and say, well, I'm just, I'm allowing for them to beat me or to be a jerk to me or to molest me because, because I'm just going to, I'm going to make them more important than me. But what Paul is saying is not you let anybody else do whatever they want to you. What Paul is saying is that you value them enough to always do what is best for them. And in no way is allowing a person to beat you or molest you or tear you down the best thing for them. That is not the humble thing. That is not the loving thing to do. And so what we need to see here is that humility is a lowering of self, but not a lowering of self just where we get kicked to the curb. It's a lowering of self in order that we can value others and do what is good for them. Sometimes that means doing things that are so difficult. I just look and I think, and I know this isn't the example you would ever expect, but if you know somebody, a Christian person that is sinning blatantly, you think like, wow, it'd be so arrogant to call them out on that. No, the pride and the arrogant thing to do is to not call them out. Because you're going, I don't want to deal with the fallout of that. And I don't, I don't, it's all about you. The humble thing to do, the loving thing to do is to say, hey, this sucks for me. I don't want to have this conversation any more than you do. But I see this thing in your life. And, and, and I want to help you fix it. I want to help you break the chain. I want to help you move forward. Those are hard conversations that require a ton of humility. I dated a girl once and it was awful. I dated a couple girls once that weren't that great. But it was awful for a really long time. And there were very few people in my life humble enough to look at me and say, Chad... This is awful. And I think of one friend specifically, still a good friend, who said, if you, if you marry this girl, I will not be at your wedding because I won't support it. It's like, wow, what arrogance. No, what humility that Ryan would say that to me, that he would look me in the eyes and say, if I lose a friend, if Chad's mad at me, I'm going to say it anyway because, because he's important and I'm not in this situation. You see, we can twist our pride and say, well, pride is just, you know, always being nice or never saying something that offends anybody. But pride is anything that we do that elevates us and doesn't help the other person. And then Paul just launches into this example that's the most... Uh, over and above example he just i mean he just goes he just shoots right over the moon if he's aiming at the moon for an example he just goes right over it and he gives us this statement that's become one of the most theologically important statements in the entire bible it teaches us so much about who jesus is and and what jesus did and he's using it primarily as an example for humility because if you're like me you're like this seems impossible you know like how can i constantly be looking out for the good of others and how can i always avoid 
selfishness and, and, and vain conceit and just strive for the good of others and the glory of God. That seems impossible. And here's what he says. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's quite the example, isn't it? It's like, wow, you just packed so much theology into that example that, and I'm not joking here, this is one of the most discussed and picked apart passages in all the scripture i mean there's not hardly a word in here that people don't sit around and go what's the theological importance of that word and what's the theological importance of that word let me give you an example that i think is really important here it's a it's a small example that teaches us so much about jesus he says that jesus where is it let me find it that jesus let me find it gotta find it being in very nature God. Notice that. Being in very nature God. You with me? And then it says later, being made in human likeness. And it's as if Paul, even in the midst of this example, wants us to hear something that's so important to the Christian faith, and that is that Jesus has always been God. But he became a man when Christmas happened. He has always been God. He will always be God. But there was a moment in time when he became a person. This passage is so important because it teaches us that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And it teaches us that Jesus had a purpose in being a a God man. And that purpose was to come and was to die. And we know from other places that he did that for our salvation. He came to earth. God came to earth and lived as a man, becoming a man. He came here in order that he might die a horrible, terrible death on a cross so that we might be forgiven for our sins. And in this passage, we even see the resurrection of Jesus something we'll celebrate in not too long at Easter that Jesus is now no longer dead but he is now sitting at the right hand of the father and in that we see that Jesus sits in this place of authority rules and reigns over the earth I mean Paul in these six verses says so much about the character of Jesus that it would be wrong for us not to pause and just go wow Wow, God became a human, and then God died. That's incredible. And now Jesus rules and reigns. And it doesn't matter if people declare him as Lord or not. He's still totally in control, sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven. That's incredible. But we would also be amiss not to recognize that Paul is, first and foremost, using this as an example for how we ought to be humble. And so let's just think about that for a second. What Paul says here is that Jesus, God, was sitting in heaven. And then he made this decision to come down and be a man. Now look, the the intricacies of that, the details of that, I mean, 
they're almost impossible to understand this side of heaven. But that's what the Christian faith teaches. That's what the Bible says. That's what the guys who hung out with Jesus say. I mean, they're like, look, this was God in human form. And think about the incredible humility of that. I don't know what God sits around and does, but it seems pretty awesome, right? I mean, you're in heaven. You're ultimately, you're all powerful. You're all knowing. You have the angels ministering to every need. You're sitting up there enjoying yourself. You just get to sit around and do what you want and be who you are. And then to go, oh, I see those sinners down there. I'll become a person. That's like the, just, that is, that is humility. That is lowering yourself because think about being a person. We don't know everything. We're not all powerful. I always, when I think about Jesus taking on flesh and becoming a person I always think about middle school and how terrible middle school is and those years where you're just figuring yourself out and you're like just like everything is terrible you know maybe you didn't have those years and I liked middle school more than most people but I hated it you know and so that's bad and I think about just like every death of every loved one and every Every time I've stubbed my toe and recently playing soccer my thumb got hit and it was like stubbing my toe, but it lasted for five minutes. That same pain, one of the worst things I've ever felt in my life. And Jesus stepped out of the glory of heaven. Think about that. The perfection of heaven where there is no pain and sorrow and suffering. And he came down here as a, as a person. That's the most incredible humility. That is, that is a being saying, look, I will lower myself for your good. And not only that, Paul tells us, but then Jesus... <laughs> He didn't just become a person, but he, but he willingly gave his life for the sins of people. And not only did he give his life, he gave his life in the most torturous, humble way that he could of crucifixion, which for the early, uh, for the people that lived during his time, was, that was just the most humiliating form of death. The Romans built that form of death in order to humiliate people as they killed them. And Jesus did that. And so, Paul would say to us, look at your life and say, how can I be like Jesus specifically with my interaction with other Christians? How can I be like Jesus? How can I make them more important? How can I do nothing out of selfishness and nothing out of vacancy? How can I always strive for the good of others and the glory of God? I just, I see it this way. Let me give you a couple examples just for my own marriage, because this is where I can see my selfishness so clearly. Like after a long day when the kids are terrible and and you are tired because you've been trying to clean or whatever, like, like who serves the dinner? Who does that? Like who gets up and, and puts it on the plate? Because for me, and this was humbling, this was humbling. I'm not just saying this like as an example. For me, it's like, man, Bryn would do that. And I would ask her to do that. And it's a sign of my complete and utter pride. Or a very real world example from my marriage again. Like, as you potty train, who cleans the poop out of the pants? (laughs) And it's never been me. 
And, and it's funny, but it's prideful. Now, I did, just to make myself look a little better. There was a puking incident once, and I cleaned puke out of a stroller for so long that it was no longer disgusting. It was just there. It was a thing, you know? So I do have moments where I lower my pride. But, but that's, those, those, are, those are the real-world examples, right? I mean, those, those are the things that are important. If you're thinking like, hey, God became a human and then died, <laughs> How hard is it to get up and, and serve food for your family? And what Paul wants us to hear is, look, if you're a Jesus follower, then you got to follow Jesus and be more humble. I think we just kind of skirt this issue and go, I can be prideful and a Jesus follower because we use this term Christian in the most broad sense. We use the term Christian as like this kind of set of beliefs that we hold on to. But what it means to be a Christian is to be a follower of Jesus. And if we truly want to follow Jesus, then we have to be people that look at the example of Jesus and say, wow, that's incredible humility. He lowered himself by becoming a human and then lowered himself so low that he gave his life on a cross. And so in my day-to-day interactions with people, if I'm going to follow Jesus, it's going to mean that I sacrifice for their good and for the glory of God. That's what it's going to mean. If you're truly following Jesus, then your actions are not going to be driven by self. They're going to be driven by the good of others and the glory of God. And we see at the end that Jesus is Lord and we see at the end that God raised him up and we saw in James 4.10 that when we humble ourselves before the Lord, he will lift us up. And so we can do all this knowing that if we'll just lower ourselves, if we'll follow Jesus, if we'll live like Christians, removing pride, humbling ourselves, serving others, then we will be lifted up by God. Let me just reiterate the things in this series pride is me above you and god too the antidote to pride is is humility humility is you and god above me this was perfectly demonstrated in jesus and to follow jesus we must be humble and so this morning i just want you to leave i want you to leave this series with this as you work to increase your love of god pride will fall away And as you strive to be near to God and you strive for purity and you make sacrifices, then then pride will go away. But each and every day, we're going to have to make a decision between pride and humility. And I think it's a decision that we can make. It's not some intangible thing that's like, well, hopefully I'll do it today. It's It's a decision we make. Am I going to lower myself And am I going to strive for the good of others and the glory of God? Or am I going to raise myself up above others? And you can make that decision when you you look at dinner and you say, who's going to put it on a plate? And you can make that decision when you come to church and you look around and somebody's got to do something and you go, well, I'll do it because they're more important than me. I hope that if you take something from this series, you'll say, wow, I want to love God more and loving God more will require me working for the good of others and the glory of God, not working to fulfill my desires and my selfish longings. That's what I want. I'm going to pray that that happens. Please pray with me. Lord, 
I, I just thank you, God, for what you, what you did. Lord Jesus, it's an incredible passage of Scripture, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. And what makes it so incredible to me is that you, God, loved me enough, that you were humble enough, and then you loved me enough to come down to this earth. And God, the benefits, as Paul described at the beginning of this, for me, are my whole life, my whole life, everything good that I have in my life is because you humbled yourself. And personally, God, I want to, I want to be a part of the goodness that you offer to people through my own humility. And I want that for others in our church, God, and I pray that we would lower ourselves and that, God, we, as we we'd strive to follow you, God, we'd make real-life decisions that are not connected to selfishness, that are not, God, connected to our desire for our own glory, but they're only for the good of others and for your glory, God. Lord, I, I want us to be a church that is unified, not just a lack of disunity, but just spiritual loving connection between people God and I think it can happen as we make others more important because we love you so much God and because we believe so strongly in the example you have set for us and so work in us as individuals and work in us as a church God make us a humble church that brings you glory I pray these things in your name Jesus amen